because I'm because I'm in Amsterdam, I feel like I should uh, do the introduction with a Dutch accent. Go on then, that'd be fucking funny. <laughs> hey Mitch, <laughs> not another whiskey podcast, eh? <laughs> Sound Canadian. I like a whiskey and a crap, please. <laughs> well, I don't know what that was. <laughs> Mitch, good to see you, mate. This episode, Not Another Whiskey Podcast, is all about remarkable stills. Have you ever wondered how many tons of copper are used every year to make stills for the production of the finest single malt Scotch whiskey? How long does it take to create and craft one of these beautiful copper pot stills? How much does it cost to make a still? And how long do you have to wait once you've ordered one for it to arrive at your distillery? Mate, it's a great question. I suppose as you sit up in bed in evening, in the evening, you know, everyone listening to this, you turn to your significant other and pose this very important question. If there are 138 distilleries in Scotland, how many stills are there making whiskey in our fine country right now? Great question. It is a good question. I'm delighted to say that I am not lying down next to you right now. You are not my significant other, despite what some of the rumours might have. Come uh, on, might be man, out really? there. I don't actually know, right? Because I've never counted how many stills there are pumping away new make spirit in Scotland right now. There's loads of distilleries out there. Um, 138, let's say it's 138, give or take one or two. And let's assume, right? I know Glenfiddich, you, you know Glenfiddich well. There's 40 odd stills, 48 stills, I think you reckon is up at Glenfiddich. Some distilleries have only got two. So let's say it's five, right? Let's say five is the average number of stills at a distillery in Scotland right now. 690 stills making single malt whiskey right now in Scotland today. Wow, that's impressive, man. Thanks very much. I didn't even use a calculator. Not the maths, man. Just the amount of stills that's making I, I know, much whiskey. I, 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 I know. Maths is, my, um, maths is my strong point. You're, you're a Achilles heel, mate. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's amazing. Well, that, that, that's a low ball as well. Like that's a proper low ball. I, I reckon yeah. there's more. There's probably closer to like eight or eight fifty something like that. But quick fag packet maths. If mm. if anyone knows, write in and tell us how many stills are in operation right now. But it's a great topic, man. And you know, I think we're all guilty of skimming over the importance of stills. To be fair, it's much easier to rattle off details about cask and its influence on the whiskey, rather than sort of explaining the shape of stills, impact of flavor. Um, you know, and how the temperatures, line arms and condensers come together mm. in this, I suppose, like crescendo of happy a- accidents, you know, to give us this um, sometimes waxy, bold, and even this this fruity style of spirit, right? Yeah. The th- the, this is the problem, isn't it? And, I, and, and we, we're not distillers. You know, we're really clear about that. There's certain things we can talk about with confidence. There's certain things we can't talk about with confidence. And you met, 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 you're probably better verse possibly than I am, but like the billions and millions of reactions and stuff like that that take place inside a still, like listening to the guys that do know, who I know and I've spoken to over the years and stuff, like this um, this this idea that, you know, science, right, is, is, is a huge part of whiskey. We know that, but it's not an exact science and it, and it will never be because there's too many things happening coming together to create all these flavors. So whilst our understanding will always improve, um, there is this balance between art and science, which is really, really important, I think. No, 100%, mate. Totally agreed on that. I, I think, uh, you know, when you look, you look around Scotland and you look around the world right now as well, let's face it, there's some pretty crazy things when it comes to distillation. 
um, Remarkable Stills, if you will, the title Ooh, of this, this episode. Uh, I like what you did there. Nice, mate. I like it. I like yeah, it. See, I huh. wove that in there. Not my first rodeo. Um, yeah. Mate, I think as, as, as brand ambassadors, you know, we've had the pleasure of running about a load of Scotland's distilleries and uh, lesser known distilleries and the kind of really well-known ones as well, you know? Mate, there, there is. Even the well-known ones. Let's take McAllen as a really good example. A lot of people don't realise that they're... So stills usually work in pairs, don't they, normally? I think I think most distilleries, it's a wash still, then it's into a, a spirit still, and then it's into a, a, a cask thereafter, right? So they do work in pairs quite a lot of the time. But that's not all the time. And I was, you know, McAllen's a really, really well-known brand, a great example. But their their stills work in wash still, and then it splits into two spirit stills, which is quite cool. So their stills work in three. So there's all these little quirks, and every distillery has one. And I've always kind of talked about new make spirit as like a fingerprint of the distillery. You know, when you taste a new make, there's loads of reasons for, you know, behind why you're tasting, what you're tasting. And it's so fascinating when you start to kind of unpeel it, you know, how it's condensed. Uh, what What is the shape of the still? You know, is, is it lamp glass? You know, is it more that oniony shape, pear shape? You know, what what is it that's, that's kind of impacting those kind of flavors? So I think it'd be quite cool to, to have a wee spin around some of these distilleries, mate, and, and see what's what? going on. Dude, let's play a game, right? A little geeky game for us. Top three distilleries with crazy stills, impressive still houses from, from what you've seen. So top yeah. three, go. I remember walking into Fetter Cairn Distillery for the first time. Uh, you've been there? No, I haven't, mate. Yeah, we need to get you up. Um, Stuart Walker, distillery manager up there, amazing guy. So what, what happens there is they've got a, around the top of the still, they've got a copper pipe, which has been fitted on the outside of the spirit still. And what it does is it, it basically just runs water down like a like a fountain down the sides of the, the neck of the still. Um, and it only runs uh, when the heart of the spirit is is running. So it, only, it doesn't run for very long, but it's an amazing spectacle. And, and usually when you walk into like a still house, it's a pretty static environment. You, you might see a few people knocking about, but actually the still is standing still that it might be warm in there you might hear the hiss of the stills but you don't actually see anything moving right stills mm. don't move nothing really happens so it's, it's quite a it's quite a beautiful sculpture kind of like scenario the cool thing about fair Cairn is you see water splooshing down the sides of the stills and it's absolutely mental um and it was put in by an engineer back in the 50s um just as a bit of a trial uh, and it's been there ever since so anyone looking for something really unusual in a still house in scotland I highly recommend that you go and visit the Fair Cairn Distillery because it's pretty mental. Um, also, something hmm. that I found out recently, Daz, with the bottle design, it's like a little tip the hat to to that whole design of the still, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so around the top, there's like a, a ring of um, glass, and then from that, you see the lines coming down the side. On their forty-year-olds, there's actually a ring of copper around the top of the glass bottle. And from that, you'll see those lines coming down, which is a, a massive nod to, to the copper rings, the cooling rings, as they call them up at the distillery. So great. I mean, brilliant distillery, beautiful place. And how are the Mairns there? Beautiful postcard kind of setting. Next distillery, yeah. um, I, I'm not doing this very quickly. Next distillery, definitely Dalmore. Anyone that's been to Dalmore knows it's a mad setup of a still house. Um, you've actually got two still houses, effectively. One, which was kind of the original, and then another side, which was... Uh, a big increase in capacity in 1966 where they mirrored the other side of the still house, but doubled the size of the stills. So they're the same shape, they're the same idea, um, but they're twice the size. The fascinating thing though is the old side because you've got 
the original Victorian water jackets around the outsides of the stills. Mm. And in one of the stills, the spirit still from 19, uh, 1874, you have a, a copper plate, um, what, what's called a pre-condensing condenser, um, which is mental. We didn't actually know about that up until about three years ago. Uh, it wasn't until we removed the stills to rewire, replumb everything that we actually found out this. So Dalmore quite often has been described as kind of like the Willy Wonka still house. It's, it's, it's cool because it's got that Victorian engineering. It's got some really unusual shapes, which we're not used to. Flat top wash stills, Victorian water jackets, internal condensers, proper mad place and horizontal condensers at the back of the stills as well, which is quite unusual. You know, it's um, funny, top, man. Mm. What, sorry to interrupt you there, but you still say we when you talk about Dalmore. And it's, yeah. and it's funny because I still do it when I talk about Glenfiddich and Balvenie. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I, and I wasn't. I mean, I wasn't wasn't there for very long. But I, I think with Dalmore, particularly, I, I don't know. There was a because we did so much work around the distillery at that particular time, refitting and all that kind of stuff. And there's you know big news as well. They're they're putting in a new still house as well. So they're going to have to replicate this one more time again. It's just a mad place. Really cool, amazing place. If you want to go and see something quite unusual, and actually the the purpose of the what they're doing there is to create a big full-bodied spirit which is good for long maturations which Dalmore is really well known for the last one um the last distillery we'll go to I actually went recently I went uh, just a few weeks ago over to Denmark to the Stowning distillery over in the west of Denmark and it was just beautiful I have to say symmetrical uh, old school Moorish Spanish style stills um with the kind of peak tops and the wibbly, the killy, uh, what you call, almost like a curly-whirly kind of line arms that come off the edge of the stills there. They're, they're kind of, going there mate. Yeah, they're kind of wavy as they come down. What's cool about that still house, right, is that there's so many, there's 28, I think it's 24 stills in their still house, but they're all direct fired. Mm. So it's, there's a real warmth in the still house when you're standing on top of the kilns that are fueling these stills. And it's just beautiful as a still house. So less so for the engineering part, which there is definitely really some interesting points about that, but actually more visually just for the how beautiful and, and just how nice a still house it is. And it kind of yeah. took me back a little bit as I walked into that still house. So Fettercairn, Dalmore and Stowning, three still houses that I've been to that I've thought that's pretty mental. It's really beautiful or it's just fascinating. Dude, this is a hard one. I mean, you know, there's there's so many that I've been into. I think when you go around the distillery as well, it's my favorite, well, second favorite spot actually is the, is the still house next to the warehouse. Um, Mine's usually the bar. <laughs> well, yeah, the bar is always yeah. cool. But the warehouse, you know, sometimes you get a dram in there as well. Which is that's awesome. very true. Yeah, that's um, true. But yeah, you know, I'm going to go kind of like similar vibe to what you're talking about with Stoning. I'm going to go for the aesthetic look. And it's actually more for the view, uh, which would be Ardenahoe over on Isla. Just Shout. that view from the storehouse, yeah. you know, and it's not dissimilar to Kalila as well. Um, but I think Ardenahoe kind of trumps Kalila a little bit just with the way it's set up and mm -hmm. the view's a little bit more elevated. Looking over to the Paps, looking onto the sound of of, of uh, Isla when you're uh, when you're standing there as well. Uh, just a, a stunning little distillery. And you, we've chatted about this a few times, uh, this distillery on the um, on the show. You know, not only great still house, but they've got that fantastic restaurant again with the same view that overlooks it. So everything was v built very much to 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 really bring out that whole view that they have there. 
nothing really spectacular about the stills, I would say, but just that whole view and the setup from it. Just the setting of it. Yeah, yeah. I got I mean it's just a shout. Great shout. Yeah. Number two um would be Mortlock. And just because mm. it was a still house that totally fucked with my mind big time. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I do, I don't know like if when you went in there, when you went in there like during your whiskey career, but mine was during the the uh what do you call it? More advocate course that we did with Diageo. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was at the point where, you know, I was kind of like, all right, I'm getting to grips with distilling here, kind of working it all out. And then one of the guys actually worked at Mortlick. So we managed to go in there and straight away, I was like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense from everything that we've just learned. Every mm. single still is a different shape. And then you've got this little wee witchy going on, which gives it this 2.8 or 2.3, can't remember what it is right now, distillation mm. process. So it totally turned everything on its head. Uh, and still to this day, you know, it kind of confuses me as to what goes on in Mortlock. Uh, yeah. Again, if anyone's listening, can come on the show and talk about how it's all done. Uh, I would be really impressed to have a condensed version of the still house of Mortlock because it's just yeah. insane. It's a, it's a mad one. There's a few distilleries like this that have a a still, which is a, a bit of an outlier, isn't it? it mm. It's and it's weird because it's and it depends on how you charge your stills at what strength you take off. Um, so therefore, it's an unbalanced system, right? Uh, so Dalmore has that as well. It's an unbalanced system. They yeah. tried to balance it many years ago, and they can't do it because you just don't get the same spirit style. And and the number of times I've been around to st- uh, somewhere like Dalmore, uh, been to Mortlock a few times, I actually think the more times I visit, the less I understand it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And it, yeah, yeah. It's so frustrating because I'm like, I I was so close to like I thought I had it down in my head like that's how that works, and then. I'll go and learn about it again, and I go, ah, no, I, I just don't understand it. And I, do you know what? I'm actually quite comfortable with it, Mitch. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a distiller. Yeah. I don't work at those places, so I don't really need to understand it that much. What I want to know is, is what what's the output. But, yeah, tal- uh, Mortlach, sorry, great, great distillery. And really fascinating spirit style, right? Meaty, yeah, which yeah. is really unusual. Yeah. Meaty, sulfury, kind of crazy. Mm. The beast of Speyside, as they call it. Uh, the third one for me is Glenmorangie, uh, simply because it was one of the first distilleries I ever visited. And, you know, these these crazy, super tall stills that they've got there. It's almost yeah. like a cathedral when you go in. Um, just a, I think it's a beautiful looking still house. Again, this, the, the aesthetic, but more for the actual stills as opposed to the view that you get uh, mm-hmm. when I was talking about Ardenaho earlier on. So, yeah, man, that's my uh, that's my top three right there. This is classic me, Mitch, as you know. And uh, Glen Glen Fiddick is a distillery I've not been to, which uh, we, we keep talking about. We need to organise. Um, but I've actually been down to Loch Lomond Distillery quite a few times. And I know it's an incredible distillery because the product and the, the way things I've heard have been done down there. But I've actually never been around a distillery myself. Have you been down there? No, I haven't. You say, nah. You keep saying you're going to invite me, but, you know. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to sort that out. Um, I caught up with Gary Mills, who's like the global ambassador for all things Loch Lomond Group, who are the owners of the Loch Lomond Distillery. They've got Glen Scotia, and they also own the, the kind of last stocks there of Little Mill as well. So we're going to bring Gary in just to tell us a little bit about the Loch Lomond Distillery, because of all the distilleries in Scotland, it's fair to say Loch Lomond are, are right up there with the most remarkable. So let's hear what you had to say. Welcome to Not Another Whiskey Podcast, Gary. How are you doing, mate? 
Thank you very much, Daz. Uh, pleasure to be here, man. It's a uh, yeah, long time, uh, long time listener. Ah, uh, long time listener. Oh, there long we go. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> Definitely, it's good to have you on. Um, like we've 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 caught up quite a lot, and I've tried to get my head around, you know, what what happens at the Loch Lomond uh, Distillery for a number of years, and and I'm not sure I'm, I'm any clearer on that. It's it's an amazing place. I haven't actually had the pleasure. I've been down to the distillery a few times now, but I haven't had the tour. Uh, the next time I'm down, I, I will do it with you, sir, because yeah, we'll, you're uh, we'll definitely. We we'll definitely need to get you and Mitch down to the do the full tour. Definitely, yeah, man. yeah. So like. Tell us a little bit about Loch Lomond Distillery, mate. Like, what? Give us a bit of background as to how it all came about, and then we can get into like what makes it quite special. Yeah, no, no worries. Um, so the the history itself it actually links very closely into Little Mill. Um, so it was actually the 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 current site um of Loch Lomond was opened in 1966, uh, and it was opened as a sister distillery to Little Mill. So obviously, the 60s when single malt really started kind of ramping up. Uh, started coming into people's perception, so they did everything they could at Little Mill to, to increase production um, and do what they could there, and then the only other thing you can really do is open another distillery. Yeah. So um, meant that they also had a lowland distillery and a highland distillery, so literally they, they straddle each side of the, the, the dividing line. So Loch Lomond, technically, what is it? It's a highland distillery? Highland. Yeah. Because yeah. of the side of the river that it's on? Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Little Mill, what, eight miles down the road was... Uh, Lowland. That's mad, eh? It's yeah. crazy. Because I heard that Little Mill was a Lowland, but its water source was in the Highlands. Is that right? Yes, and its peak came from Stornoway. Right, okay. Um, yeah, it was a bit mad. It, and it was literally, that's how close they were to the line, because it literally came down um, the hill. Uh, yeah. And that, that made a Highland water source. But obviously, the distillery being in the Lowlands means it's a it's a Lowlands whiskey. Yeah, yeah, mad. So Loch Lomond is a Highland distillery. Technically, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. and it's the kind of the still history stems from that as well. Um, so the guys, um, the owner at the time of Little Mill was a man called Duncan Thomas. He was a chemist by trade. Uh, he owned Little Mill from about the nineteen thirties uh, through into the nineteen seventies, um, and he developed a, a few different things. But the key thing for us was this: uh, our wonderful straight neck still, uh, and the whole rationale being for him. Uh, obviously, Lowland historically is triple distilled um, to get that real kind of light floral kind of spirit character. Um, and he developed these straight neck stills to be able to produce that triple distilled style spirit through double distillation. Um, and it all kind of went from there. And then obviously opening Loch Lomond as a sister distillery meant that they opened with those straight neck stills exclusively. Yeah. Um, and, and the kind of distillery grew and developed from there uh kind of really driven by a lot of blending actually uh, and i want to create different spirit styles uh but for the first 30 odd years um we exclusively had the straight neck styles and it's no surprise right because i mean like creating a lighter spirit that was quite common in the 60s a lot of distilleries were either refurbished in the 60s or opened for the first time in the 60s yeah. and in that in that period light blends were very popular cutty sark was huge jmb was huge you know we, we, we saw a lot of those lighter style blends becoming popular kind of around the world so Definitely. distilleries like this were creating that spirit for for their customers who were the blenders of the day right the big blenders exactly. of the day yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Houses, yeah. yeah so uh, so we only we only installed the standard swan neck styles in 1999 yeah 
Um, so we are currently in a situation where we have one pair of swan neck stills and three pairs of our very unique straight neck pot stills. Cool. Okay. So you, you've got the opportunity then at Loch Lomond to, to do lots of different things um, in, in these that's, different setups. Yeah, yeah that's, that, that's, a, that's a bit of an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to come on to this, right? Because the what, what it is, is about, it's the art of the, the possible at local woman isn't it and that that that's the way i kind of see it is if you if you can create so many different variations you can achieve some form of consistency in the end because you've got so many little tunes that you can play um or or you give yourself the opportunity to create lots of different types of products uh, more consistently which is probably the case for for you guys isn't it yeah um yes actually a bit of both um mm. I, the way i always describe it is if you if you view michael henry or master blender as, as a painter as an artist yep. All you're doing is ultimately furnishing him with more colours on the palette mm-hmm. to be able to put more texture and more detail to to the end product, to the, the single malts. Um, but we do have a we'll get still got that consistent love woman style, uh, which is the, the kind of fruit character uh, running through honey sweetness coming from um, predominant use of American oak, uh, and then just a wee wisp of soft smoke kind of coming yeah. in the tail end as well. But we we then kind of obviously as many distilleries do then play on pull those different levers and accentuate and dial up and down the various yeah. elements but that's the that's the kind of familial traits you'll get nice okay so at the local woman distillery right you the three the three sets is it of straight yeah, neck stills yeah. three sets so wash still and spirit still yeah both straight neck both straight neck yeah both straight neck so right standard, okay standard pot still base yeah, uh, both have got straight necks. Um, the wash still has one perforated copper plate, um, right. and then the spirit still has seventeen perforated copper plates. Okay, and they they sit horizontally in the neck of the of the stills as they as do. it kind of goes up, right? So that's increasing contact with copper. I take it they're made from copper. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, so yeah. Copper, sacrificial copper. Uh, so yeah, increasing the contact, increasing the reflux, um, and then we've got a cooling ring round the top of the, the spirit still, uh, just, again, flood that with cold water and that increases the reflux even more. And that cooling ring around the top, does that sit inside a jacket? Uh, no, no, it's literally a metal ring round the outside of the um, round the outside of the still itself. And it sprays water on, on the still? No, no, so we, we just fill that with cold water. Got it, right, perfect. Okay, cool, yeah, yeah, so that I, I almost, understand. Almost right. like a jacket, but... Yeah, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because we like this is this is the thing. It's the, you start to get into the kind of setup of these different distilleries. It's it's almost like bits of distilleries have one part of this, and another distillery has another part. We talked about Fetter Cairn earlier with the cooling ring around the top, which actually scooshes water on the outside, uh, yeah, yeah, and it, it's not in a jacket. It literally just rolls down the outside of the still. It's it's proper crazy, um, and then you've got the straight sort of the straight necks. We've seen that at Dalmore on on the old spirit stills where there is a straight neck and inside it there's kind of thick uh, piping almost that sort of sits in the neck, which is totally bizarre. But what what you guys have created is, uh, well, or whoever it was that created it, and I know there's a couple of stories behind that, is is almost like a coffee still in, in a weird way, isn't it? With with plates on the inside. I know it's not a coffee yeah. still, but it, it's kind of parts of a coffee a coffee still are almost sort of in. Absolutely. Put into this, yeah, yeah. So, so it's, it's ultimately you're getting many distillations at each of the plates, mm-hmm. uh, and fundamentally, it's making it harder for those heavier spirits to travel up the still. Yeah. Um, but the the other the other side of it, so the, the other side of it is that it gives us a level of variation as well. Yeah. Stand, if you think obviously a standard pot still, standard swan neck pot still, 
um, ultimately the characteristics of the of the spirit are going to be defined by the shape of the pot, mm-hmm. um, the kind of width, height, and shape of the neck, and then the angle of the line arm. Yeah. But ultimately, once you've installed that, still that's that's set forever. Yeah. It's not as, it's not as if you can do a run and change your line arm uh, angle by ten degrees between runs. Yeah. Um, so fundamentally, most distilleries will get three spirits: uh, mm-hmm. an unpeated, a heavy peated, and a medium peated. Mm-hmm. Um, but but we can ultimately with the, the flexibility of the straight neck still means we can take different cuts uh, and really vary the character of the spirit as well. Well, that's because that's what I was going to ask, right? So it's heated from the bottom like a normal still would be yeah. steam coil, I assume. Steam coil, yeah, absolutely. yeah. Um, and then as as vapors rise, they hit these plates. Are these plates? Are you able to sort of control the temperature of those plates by squishing water through them and things like no. that? No, you no. can't. Right? Okay, so they just they're there. They're fixed. Yes, feature yes. yeah yeah fixed fixed plates they, they, they can't be moved opened or closed yeah but it's obviously i mean they, they were developed 60 odd years ago do you know what I mean? so yeah, yeah. Are, the we've done all that kind of leg work beforehand to kind of know that the optimums um, mm-hmm. distances and stuff so that's all set um and then it's more about how we run that still and the, the kind of cut we take so we'll do um we we currently take two uh cuts just now we'll take a high collection and a low collection Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll run the high collection for about two weeks, uh, and then we'll kind of do another run for about another week of the low collection. Okay. Um, so the high collection runs from about ninety percent ABV down to the eighty percent ABV, so about eighty-five yeah. in the receiver, uh, and then the low cuts from about ninety down to all the way down to fifty. So that's uh, end up about sixty-eight in the receiver. Yeah. So that's a high. That's a high ABV. The high cut yes. is. So yeah. That, so that's yeah. the. That's that lowland style spirit. Um, yeah. That, the, that we're looking to produce like that. Eighty-five percent really holds a lot of those esters and the light fruity character. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very very key to the lowland style. Nice, nice. So in those in those stills now, has was there ever was there ever any sort of question mark around is that single malt or not in the past? Do you know was there ever sort mm-hmm. of a a challenge no. to that setup because it's it's only Loch Lomond, I think that. Well, I know that Dalmore have this plate in the spirit still, which is which we didn't know about actually up until about three or four years ago. Are there any other still? I'm trying to think if there's any others that that run with sort of plates like this. It must just be Loch no. Lomond, yeah. No, with with it being developed by Little Mill and then Little Mill opening us ultimately uh-huh. exclusively in um in Loch Lomond, um the the. No, so yes, hundred percent single malt uh, because we've got the standard pot still base. Yeah. Um, so it's still classed as a copper pot still, so everything like that is still single malt. Yeah. Um, the 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 big question we we tend to get asked quite a lot is is it a Loman still? Um, yeah. And it's not fundamentally. It's not okay. Um, right. Okay. There's, <laughs> there's obviously the kind of confusion being with the name. Yeah, I was gonna say totally. Yeah, um, but obviously the 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 the, the Loman still was um, developed it down at Interleaving down in Dumbarton. Yeah, uh, and it was that was what about ten years before we were open. So right. it was the proximity to the lock itself that kind of bore the name rather than from our distillery. Yeah, um, but fundamentally the the differences being, uh, um, yeah, so straight neck stills tend to be short and squat, quite short, wide neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to be only two or three plates uh, normally can be open and closed yeah uh, and like i said that kind of squat flat fat base as well um so yeah th- there's some real fundamental differences um be- between that and our straight neck pot still yeah because so so it's a straight neck pot still straight not neck. all loman still so th- this is this is this is exactly why we're doing this episode because there is a there are lots of different 
bits and pieces you can use obviously to distill coffee stills um which are different again and them, we'll, yeah. you know we, we'll you've got one of them yeah uh, yes it's a coffee style still okay we've got a history of kind of real kind of pioneers at what so duncan thomas obviously one of them um but with that a man called john peterson used to work for us uh, at the distillery and John John loved everything about distillation again had more of a kind of chemistry background mm-hmm. um, and he designed our column still uh, which is very much in a coffee style yeah uh, but he, he designed that and again that's got 80 plates split between the two styles right um, and very interestingly we're running that with 100% malted barley so, so you're you're doing a single grain but it's a, it's a malted barley grain style whiskey yeah. 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 yeah yeah okay well that that that, that 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 let's go back to the Loch Lomond piece, um, yeah, because I think like stylistically, then um, sort of through a wash still uh, with with one plate, or yeah. was it three? One uh, plate, one, yeah. One in, yeah, one in the wash. Yeah, and then through a spirit still with seventeen plates. Yes. Yeah. Then it runs off the spirit off the back of the still down a line arm, I assume. Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Shell and tube condenser. And then shell and tube at the back, yep. um, and then sort of spirit style wise, like what. What are you looking for then, just sort of generally from from that sort of spirit? Fruity. Uh, it's, it's really yeah. about bringing that fruit character to life. Mm. So we, we do quite a long fermentation, uh, minimum of about 92 hours. And is it? Fruit, yeah. See, that that's another part, isn't it, that a lot of distilleries, it had, it had become quite homogenised and standardised. 55-hour, 60-hour fermentation is fairly common. Most distilleries that you go to will kind of run that. 92 is a long, it's a long fermentation, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's our minimum. Um, and yeah. for us, it's all about secondary fermentation. Uh, so ultimately, it creates a, a bacterial fermentation. It doesn't, so it doesn't create any more alcohol. So it still stays between that kind of eight to ten percent. Yeah. Uh, but it creates different alcohols, so longer chains, uh, esters, and it's, it's basically building in more flavour. Uh, and yeah. Importantly for us, fruity flavour. Yeah. Because uh, well. when I when I drink Loch Lomans, I'm a massive fan of the eighteen. Like I I, I love it. it. It is like a fruit and nut. You know the the chocolate bar. It, it it's almost exactly identical flavor wise to that, and I that I sit and I just sort of blast away at that. I think it's just a great whiskey, and and it's fruity. It is exactly that. And, and when we go through the sort of twelve year olds, um, you you see that consistency coming through. But obviously there are a few other tunes that you guys are playing through this sort of three twelve year olds. Let's have a little talk through the twelves and how that fruitiness comes through and the different expressions would be quite good. To sort of understand, yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yeah, the 312s is the whole rationale for us having three official bottling 12 year olds is it, it really nicely encapsulates local Loman the capabilities of, of what we can do and ultimately why we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we start off with the the, kind of the red label, local Loman 12, perfectly balanced, as we call it, yeah, um, that for me is the absolute epitome of the local Loman signature style. That fruit honey sweetness um and the uh, whisper soft smoke yeah um and that's that's michael's baby he very much set out to create that style of whiskey uh and it's wonderful um on the nose it starts off with kind of white flesh fruits that's not so easy when you're midway through a taste yeah <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> But it but it develops quite quickly on the palate into more of the kind of orchard fruits, uh, a bit of the kind of apple and pear element. Yeah. Um, rolling through with that honey sweetness, uh, and then that whisper soft smoke just comes in right in at the tail end. Right. Uh, and I think the thing for me, like putting perfectly balanced, is quite a bold statement on the label. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the liquid does that. It's got those three characteristics really, really nicely balanced. Not none of them kind of real fighting against each other, just working perfectly together. Yeah. So single malt. S- single malt. S- single malt. Six percent non-filtered. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a it's a real <laughs> it's a real good session whiskey. Yeah, yeah. No, there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely uh, people sometimes go, oh, but that that doesn't sound as maybe as complex or as interesting. It's like doesn't always have to be it can still oh. be very tasty and, and very pleasant and um something that you don't have to sort of sit and chew on for a few hours you know yeah oh, absolutely and i think i think more and more people are now kind of viewing whiskey and their whiskey collections uh rather than by region or age statement by that kind of by that kind of uh, consumption um time if you if you like or, or when they're when they're looking to or why they're looking to the whiskey whether you're just coming in from work and you just want a whiskey like you said you don't mm. really think about it. you just want to sit and enjoy a dram or do you want to sit and really delve into something, unpick the layers of it? Uh, or do you want a drum that you sit and take your time and just enjoy the length and the, and the complexity? Um, yeah. The, the Local Woman 12, perfectly balanced, sits in that first category for me, like I said. And, and you mentioned Michael Henry, who who is yeah. your master blender, master distiller, master, kind of yeah, overseas. Yeah. Overseas, overseas the, not only Local Woman, uh, but also just the blending for Glen Scotia. Uh, final custodian of the little mill casks does all yeah. the blend, uh, blending, uh, single casks. Yeah, I don't know when the man sleeps. To be honest, I don't know when he does. He's a lovely guy. I've I've, I've been fortunate enough to sort of sat in his company a few times, and um, you know, as a whiskey maker, um, he's a really thoughtful guy, and 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 I was quite surprised at just how quiet and humble he is. Um, for a man with the knowledge he's got, and obviously the the nose he has as well, he's he's very good at sort of explaining and sitting down and understanding flavor and. So when he when he's pulling these whiskies together, um, is he is he bringing casks in so you know to to create um, you know whiskey the twelve year old the, the perfect as you call it the perfectly balanced, he's using predominantly unpeated casks and then bringing in a, a few extras here just to sort of add in in the exactly. kind of final vatting before going to the bottle in is that the way yeah, it works yeah no it, it, exactly does and I think if we go back to the stills in terms of what we're talking so like, like I said a standard pot still. Can give you three spirits, yeah. Um, and then most distilleries really need to look at cask finishing to, to bring the diversity and the differentiation in a range, and that's obviously it's what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of our straight neck stills and running them at two the two different cut points, both peated and unpeated, and um, we can actually then get a, another five spirits from that still as well. Got it. So we're given so Michael's already got eight malt new make spirits that he can that we then will mature exclusively in bourbon. Um, yep. So bourbon really just allows all of those individual spirits to, to develop their own personalities, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Develop their own character and then kind of bring them together. So the Local Lemon 12 perfectly balanced a mixture of four spirits, uh, one of which is a medium peated. Um, yep. And matured in a, in a combination of bourbon, so uh, first fill, refill, and recharge as well. Yeah, because you guys, are, I know you do, uh, you've got a really good sort of recharging program and some of the products you've created through some of the technology you guys have sort of pioneered has has been brilliant. Where you get a lot of uh, a lot of flavour from those recharged casks, the regenerated casks. So it's, it's quite impressive. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's it's it, we're so lucky to have the the cooperage. It's a full full service cooperage with, I think potentially we're potentially up to nine full time coopers now. I know. And that's all at the same. It's all on site, right? All yeah, at yeah, Alexandria. Yeah. Yeah. Local moments. So we're only one of only four. Uh, that has a, a full on-site cooperage. So there's us, uh, Gervin, uh, Glenfiddich, and Balvenia, I think of it. Is the yeah. yeah, I think you're right. 
Yeah, that's um, mad, isn't it? I mean, that's a that's a massive commitment as well, isn't it? To yes, it to is. cask quality supply, you know, and obviously the trade that is the Cooper. We we had a yes. good friend of ours, Stuart McPherson, on recently, and 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 he was kind of talking about that, you know, the numbers of Coopers that were around when, when he started his career uh, many years ago. He's just retired himself, and yeah, it's, it's great to see you guys are really still supporting that. No, definitely, and it's why it's key for us to to always have apprentices kind of coming through. Uh, so I think we, we did have so my, my, the reason for my hesitation was that I'm pretty sure what, one of our princes had his uh, trade evaluation this week oh really okay um, right I'm sure he smashed it um, yeah so that will put us up to nine full time and two apprentices and like I said, yeah, it's, it's key to have those apprentices coming through so it takes yeah three years uh, for them to become fully qualified yeah um, but I, I love spending time in there just watching these guys it's like they when they're moving I, I, I and even an empty cask weighs, weighs a good bit but he's yeah. like they're dancing with these things. They can... Oh, they just flit. It's the finger rolling, you know. <laughs> the balance. Um, yeah. yeah, it it just it gives us another element of control uh, and flexibility um, that's at our fingertips ultimately, um, so to speak. Because it means and it means that where most distilleries again, I, I feel I feel bad when I'm talking about local because I'm always referencing normal distilleries or other distilleries. Yeah, um, yeah. Most yeah. other distilleries we'll, we'll, we'll talk about using a cask three times. Yeah, um, but because of the the facilities we've got, and because we're doing grain whiskey as well, we're using casks anything up to nine times. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's brilliant. I mean, that's the way it should be. And in terms of things like sustainability and and, and all of that, it really plays into that area really brilliantly because it's not dead. And a, a, a cask that's been used two or three times can have a lot of life left in it, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's that's the thing a lot of people ask is, oh, what do you do with your old casks? They don't really have old casks. Yeah. Uh, any casks that maybe... So, so the guys obviously check all the casks that come in uh, and anything that comes in that's maybe got a few too many defects. Eventually, eventually it becomes a, a donor cask for the rest. They'll then try yeah. the good staves and use them to repair other casks. Brilliant. Well, let's go back to let's go back to the whiskey, the local Um So we we we're looking at the twelve, the perfectly balanced. Yes. We then move on to what's next, Inchmoen. Yeah. yeah I, well, I would normally going through a tasting. I would normally go into Inchmoen. Yep. Um. So again, if we come back to that uh, fruit, honey, sweetness, and the the, the smoke uh, yep. into the signature style, Inchmoen is really an exploration of the of the fruit character. Mm. Um. And that's one of our only spirits that is exclusively sorry whiskeys that's exclusively one spirit. So that comes okay. exclusively from the straight neck still. Right. And, and that's the, it, it's only the high collection on PT. So that 85%, um, let's say, lowland style uh, spirit. Uh, okay. Again, matured in the same bourbon cask. So we fill first fill and we mm-hmm. 12 years old, 46%, non-chill filtered. Um, and it's a, it's a cracking whiskey. Yeah. Uh, it's genuinely one of my favourites uh, out of the distillery. And I think it's got a, a real uniqueness to it. Um, the the fruit character is very upfront. That intense orchard fruit, crisp green apple, um, yep. ripe green pears, but there is also a kind of grassy floral element to it. Yeah, uh, I I get at times I get a kind of fresh cut grass. Yeah, a, a kind of weird note to get um on on the nose. I mean, it'd be probably weirder on the palate. Um, but it but it just works really, really well. I just I like the grassiness. I, I really like it. It's a fresh vibrancy to it yeah, that yeah. that is really appealing, and it, it does lean into kind of it does lean into citrus fruits, almost lemons and yes, limes and yeah, stuff, absolutely. and even lemon grasses. You're really kind of fragrant style whiskies, and I guess being a hundred percent from those straight neck stills, that's that's what you can do with those. You know, and other absolutely. distilleries may struggle to achieve those kind of lighter, greener kind of notes. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's why it's it's a very unique spirit because because nobody yeah. else has those styles. And yeah, you're you're right. That citrus note that kind of comes through. It's it's one I know Michael picks up a, a, a lot on my my yeah. palate. My palate definitely leans more into those orchard fruits. Right. Um, and we'll get the occasional citrus note. But I know that's Michael talks about um, like lemon meringue and, and stuff on uh, the the twelve perfectly balanced. I get a lot of lemon meringue, and, and I've been fortunate. I've tried a few little mills recently, and and I get that a lot in little mill as well. Is this lemon meringue, and and it's really, it's really appealing. And it it does it drifts off into toffee after that with the with the influence of oak and thyme. Um, but yeah, every time I go back to it, I'm like, wow, that I really like it. You know, that lemony bonbon yeah. dust. You know, meringue. That kind of character is beautiful. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I think that's the thing. The the citrus, the fresh citrus notes. And some of the, the the older little mills is just magnificent. Yeah, and it's so surprising because you're 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 preparing in your head closed distillery, old whiskey. You're going into spices and things just before you've even old picked your glass. Book, uh, old leather books, all that. Yeah, man. <laughs> Ron Burgundy. Yeah. <laughs> real, <laughs> real mouth watering, juicy, juicy fruits. Totally, and it really kind of catches you off guard. And it, and it, and I remember. Um, trying my first little mill and, and just thinking that going, that is not, and I'd read the taste of notes and I, I'd kind of, it had always been those lighter notes, but I, I didn't think it would come through and it was so obvious. I mean, it's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think that's like, obviously with, with them coming from, from the same style of still. Yeah. Um, there's obvious kind of comparisons uh, between the two, obviously different kind of casks. Uh, yeah. Little mill back in the day would have used a lot more sherry. Yeah. Um, and we used a lot of sherry, like kind of second, third fills that you would, You'd ultimately get more. You get more of the spice from that European, uh, European oak influence mm-hmm. uh, after those kind of second, third fills of sherry as well. So, yeah, there's there's some real nice parallels between between Loch Lomond and Little Mill, uh, and it kind of. It, I just wish we had more of the older stuff of Loch Lomond as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, the the Inchmoen Twelve uh, is the next one then in this sort of family of three, yes. right? Yeah. So wrap, wrapping up the three twelves, Inchmoen uh, is a great whiskey to do as a tasting. Um, because it's it does it does a kind of similar job for both the folk that don't like peat and the folk that are real peat heads. Right. Um, so it's a it's a mixture, it's a marriage, sorry, of three of the, the spirits from local. So we can produce five peated spirits. Uh, we're taking the three heavily peated spirits, one from the swan neck, mm-hmm. uh, a high collection strength from the straight neck, and a low collection strength from the the straight neck. Uh, and the whole rationale for that being that a, a lot of times. People, people think peat's ultimately just one thing. Peat's just peat. It's just yeah. Peat plus yeah. But it's fundamentally three things. You get uh, a spicy peat, a smoky peat, um, and a medicinal peat. Uh, and it's all about your distillation. Uh, so again, coming back to a, a swan neck pot still, those characteristics, so once that's installed, it's set. So if your spirits, uh, your heavily peated spirit's very spicy, on day one, it will forever be very spicy. Yeah. And we will change that character again through casks. Um. But because we're distilling in different ways, we can identify those individual characters. So one of those, each one of those, one of those characters, uh, spirits has the spice, one has the smoke, one has the medicinal. Got it. Mature them individually, again, and exclusively in bourbon casks. Yep. Uh, and then bring them together. Uh, and that, for me, creates a really wonderfully layered and nuanced peat. Um, uh, hand, on, hand on heart saying I'm not the, ma- the most massive peat fan. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm like a lot of people put off by some early experiences with some Lafroigs and Lagavons and like where 
at the, the start of your whiskey journey, it, it just overwhelms your palate. It's, a, it's an attack on the senses. Yeah. And if you're not used to that flavor, 100%, I can see if you were going to give someone their first whiskey, the likelihood of them falling in love with whiskey with a Laphroaig is, is unlikely. However, there's a journey there. It's like anything. It's like, I always say this, like um, you go to Starbucks as a 16-year-old and order a, a double espresso, you're probably not going to love coffee for a little while, right? Now, that's why you order a, a mochaccino with cream and a bit of syrup on the top with a wee flake in it because that's dressing up uh, those powerful flavors because coffee, like whiskey and wine and things like that, they're learned flavors, right? We, we, exactly. We've got to learn to like them because there's social setting, the... Uh, the flavor profiles we might not have been exposed to before you know there's a, there's a journey there and smoke is a challenging profile and and i totally get that and, and i think you know there I, I i totally agree with you on like different styles of smoke yeah. there are soft smokes and, and you guys have an opinion on this and i like it it's like spicy and uh, medicinal and uh, what was the other one was strong uh, smoke was spicy spicy smoky and medicinal yeah yeah, yeah. and that, that, i love that it's such a, a nice way of sort of approaching it as, as different flavor profiles different ways of using it you know it's a tool again yeah, yeah I, no I, absolutely and, and don't get me wrong that the, the the fruit character is definitely still there in it yeah uh but again from for me being quite early in my peak journey my my palate's really focused on that peak character initially mm -hmm. kind of processing that especially because it kind of really goes through in waves for me yeah i get i get the smoke first and then you get the spice and then you get medicinal so you, and there's a lightness to it, um, which I think is wonderful, and approachability that means I'm always very comfortable putting that slap bang in the middle of the tasting. Yeah. Um, and you can go on and do and do other whiskies there, and then you can blow folks' minds by telling them that every all three of the spirits that are in that are a 50 ppm. Yeah. So they are a Lafroy or a Lagavulin level of peat. Yeah, yeah. Because they're distilled differently, um, and it, it, it's gives it a different structure and a more approachability if you like if that's yeah no that, that that's brilliant now you've kind of touched on it earlier a little bit um, i'm going to come back to it is you talked a little bit about uh, aged whiskies and you wish that Loch Lomond had more aged stocks but you guys launched recently the the remarkable still series with a, a nice 46 year old i'm curious to hear a little bit more about this <laughs> so we're, we're we're in a very wonderful position so we the Loch Lomond group was formed uh, around eight years ago. Uh, so the company was taken over in 2014. Uh, and before that, there wasn't really a lot of Loch Lomond whiskey getting bottled and put out there. Right, okay. Um, so that was the kind of big reason for the for the takeover was get the stuff bottled uh, out the cask and the bottles and into, into mm -hmm. the glasses around the world. Um, but because we've been there since 1966, we're in this position where people view us as this relatively new distillery but we are sitting on some old stock. I mean, this year yeah. we're bringing out a 54-year-old. Yeah, yeah, and, and you have, and you've done it across uh, Glen Scotia as well. Yeah. Um, uh, similar age statements in the 40s, and that's it's so exciting to see old whiskies coming from these places for, yeah. for that reason, is that they've 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 sat in warehouses for so long. You well, know, no, no de definitely. And, and Remarkable Stills is a, is a series that really allows us to tell the story of the stills, ultimately. Like I said, because those, those first... 30 odd years were exclusively from those straight neck stills. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's a series of three. So with 45 uh, last year, 46 this year, unsurprisingly, 47 year old next year. Uh, and it's looking at using some different casks, now, some sherry and things to really showcase that spirit style and bring it to life. Uh, and I think it's even down to the, the, the packaging itself has got um, a, a recreation of that straight neck still straight down the middle. 
yeah. um, and it's all about bringing that to life uh, and those wonderful fruit characters as well. Yeah. And, and what was the sort of spirit style that was distilled at Loch Lomond back then when these whiskies were sort of laid down? Was it was it similar to what we're kind of talking about now with the the different cut points and things, or was it a, a more straightforward sort of process yeah, back more, then? More yeah, straightforward back then. Uh, I think they would have just been running probably with just the one cut, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think it's one of the reasons. Yes, we developed this this still, but it's not. We're doing two cut points that you could do. They're, they're almost limitless numbers that you could start taking off from. Yeah. Um, and I think you, you, you touched on it earlier with the with the fermentation, but I think there's with new not so much with new distilleries, I think there was a period through the boom period, the production um pressure was such that you just had to get in and get going. Yeah. Um so right, that's it. The the yeast's done its job, it's not gonna get any stronger, pull that distill it. And pot stills are kind of plug and play again, like it's installed and it's set, mm. you just keep running that. Uh, you don't need to change anything. Where with the 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 straight neck stills, there is a bit of that differentiation, finding that sweet spot, and mm. really kind of running them the right way. But again, with Loch Lomond having that that period of not really bottling a lot of um, malts for bottling, um, that those pressures weren't there. So the guys were afforded that time to really mm-hmm. get it right. Uh, so, I, but I think in the, in the early days they would have been getting to grips with it, so they've been finding that one cut. Um, there's definitely still that that fruit character is definitely there um, so I don't think they would have been maybe fermenting as long um, but yeah it, it would suggest to me they were definitely one at that high uh, cut that, that Duncan Thomas ultimately developed the still for for yeah for those fruity notes yeah, so he, exactly. he's designed it for that right he wasn't going to not do that I suppose yeah and you're, you're seeing that in the whiskeys I take it with the 46 or so 45 46 to be 47 you're, you're seeing that fruitiness even coming oh, through after all that time yeah yeah, yeah, even through fifty four, and it's it's the, the wonderful thing I love about fruit whiskies, and you're right, it's similar in Glen Scotia's, where you get you will get a lot of orchard fruits and things, some of the citrus uh, as it's younger, as it gets older, it de- develops that wonderful tropical note. Mm. Um, I think like so, you'll get it a, a wee bit like you said in the eighteen, it it's kind of starts to get there, mm-hmm. but as you get into the the, the kind of twenty ones, the thirties, and the, I've not had the chance to try the 54. I'm still going to keep pestering Michael for that. Yeah, yeah, you need to get a knock on that door, man. Yeah, kick it down. <laughs> but it's, it's as we said on the, on the Little Mills, that citrus note that comes through and it, it's whether it goes into almost sometimes that kind of, kind of mango papaya. It's, it's um, so bizarre, isn't it? Because those are the flavours that you... It doesn't make... It, it, maybe it does make sense, but... To someone sitting down, sort of thinking, as whiskey gets older, as as it gets older, you you expect more rich, heavy spice notes. You expect coffees and leathers, tobacco-y flavors to develop. But in these refill casks, especially as that wood breaks down over these decades of of time, you get these wonderful tropical notes. And and I I agree with you. I love the refill, especially ex bourbon long maturations because you start to get these weird and wonderful sort of funky flavors coming through and it's mangoes papayas some brilliant characters which on top of a fruity spirit are just incredible yeah definitely no like like you said cask management is such a big part of that i think a lot of the the ones that we'll, we'll all have tried that have got those real old notes well sometimes have been a, a maybe a first fill for that extended time mm-hmm. and it's bringing more of that wood character through uh, but like I said, a second or a third refill can really allow that 
that spirit character to, to remain without being dominated by the wood. Um, yeah. Really let those flavors develop. Yeah, that's, that's no so what, what's next? What's next on Loch Lomond's cards then? Just before we sort of wrap up, Gary, what's uh, what's um, coming out sort of between now and the next sort of end of the year, six months, something like that? Oh, we've got we've got some great fun stuff. Uh, I'm I'm not sure how much I, I can probably fully tell you. Yeah, uh, we've got one called Project Fire. Um, that's going to be some interesting stuff again, really showcasing the capabilities of the distillery. Um, some good fun stuff coming on single grain. I absolutely love our single grain. Um, yeah, such a such an approachable spirit. And um, I, I think it's so. The, the again, kind of just jumping back to that coffee still element. So there's only ourselves and Mika that are really producing whiskey in that way. They're they're obviously allowed to call theirs coffee malt because they're in demand. Yeah. Um, but we're the only ones in the world currently producing a peated single grain. Um, a peated single grain, and it's all barley, right? Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, barley. Uh, yeah, so and that's currently about five years old, uh, and, and it still sits under the Loch Lomond brand and everything, yes, doesn't it? It's 100%. all the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, and we're so we're looking to extend that range a wee bit, bring bring a bit more diversity into the single grains, and I'm very very excited about that. No, no, I'm excited by that. I'll look forward to seeing more about it. Um, mate, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no, so insightful guys, and. Yeah, uh, great to get your uh, your knowledge on on these stills and this incredible setup at Loch Lomond. And it was one that, yeah, as soon as Mitch and I were sort of talking about distilleries with unusual stills and things, I immediately was like, we have to chat to someone from Loch Lomond because it is like, it's kind of a, it's a very well-kept secret in some ways. Ultimately, because the distillery, you can't visit it, you know, and, and that is a shame because it's a, it's so interesting and, and you'll learn a lot about whiskey just by visiting the Loch Lomond distillery, you know. It doesn't matter what you know. doesn't matter who you are. You're going to learn something, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah we're, we're, we're unfortunately, I mean, in terms of volume, I mean, we're, we're in the top 20 uh, in terms of volume production from malt. Including the, including the grain distillery? Well, well no, if you include grain, well, yeah, we're, we're, we're right up there. So we're doing yeah. 5 million litres of malt uh, every year. Are you right? Okay. Uh, yeah. 20 million litres of grain every year. Well, so, okay, well, if you've got you've got three sets of the straight necks and, and a set, is it one set of swan neck? Uh, one set, one neck, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you've got what? What's that? Eight stills then, just in the yes. sort of in the still. It's a, yeah, you're going to be at least sort of four or five million liters a year, anyway, aren't you? Through yeah. the malts, so, yeah. Um, and and because the current site used to be it's a boiler house of an old dye works, we're not we're not a kind of bespoke distillery, if you like. Yeah, it's yeah. It's all a wee bit kind of shoehorned in. There's no pagodas, unfortunately. So we're, we're a very uh, working industrial site. Uh, but it was a distillery built in the sixties. I mean, show me a distillery that was built in the sixties that's not like that, you know. Um, and and I. I don't see that as a negative. In fact, actually, I see it as a as a sign of of, of when those distilleries were established. There's a few in Speyside that are that are sort of asymmetrical, angular, pebble dashed buildings, um, and there's there are there are many of those, and I quite like them. I think they're quite they're so uh, different, you know. Yeah, and I, I, I think the thing for me it always says that the the investment and the the attention has been on the inside of that building, definitely rather than the outside, and and that's that's always a sign that there's fun stuff to come. Yeah, yeah. Part of the story as well. Definitely. Yeah. Mate, thanks for joining us. We'll catch well, up soon for a drama in real life. Mate. I look forward to yeah, it. Yeah, and let's, uh, uh, let's get you and Mitch around Loch Lomond. Let's do it, man. Cheers, bro. Catch well, you soon. Thanks, man. Cheers. Mate, that was great to hear that. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, those uh, straight-sided stills, Kieran, actually just chatting about uh, Lomond stills and stuff as well was 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 really, really cool. Uh, and I actually, I'm a massive fan of the Loch Lomond 18. Delicious whiskey. It always reminds me of like a fruit and nut. Everyone's a fruit and nut cake, Mitch. 
Mm-hmm. Hunky chunky almonds. I'm a big fan of all the Loch Lomans right now. I mean, you know, I remember you gave me that the, the whole tasting set, and yeah. I read something as well that it's the fastest growing whiskey at the moment. It's the fastest growing whiskey under a hundred thousand cases. Yeah. So congratulations to the guys. They're 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 doing a really really good job, and yeah, loads to come from them as well. Some really interesting releases in the core range, but also at the higher end as well. Some of the older stuff. So. Yeah, loads, loads going on over there at Loch Lomond. So, uh, Gary, thank you so much for joining us, mate. Much appreciated. All right, well, let's get into the news, man. I mean, dude, we could have done this whole episode, I think, on the news because there is that much going on at the moment within uh, within whiskey. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to kick off with there was a quite an interesting article on Master and Malt talking about an Isla peat shortage that's going on right now. And this mm. is all based around the Port Ellen maltings uh, and how kind of Diageo are basically not going to have enough uh, malted barley to supply the rest of the island's distilleries. Now, Diageo are keeping quite quiet about this, uh, but it, it seems like there are other people on the island kind of spilling the beans when you read this article. And it kind of makes sense, right? Because you consider Kalila is now back in full production seven days a week. Then you've got Port Ellen about to open up with Diageo. Uh, there's a continued demand for Lagavulin. So you can see Diageo going, well, we need to produce all this malted barley for our own distilleries and kind of screw everyone else type thing, right? Yeah. I, and and reading this article, uh, my good friend uh, Georgie Crawford actually chimed in at this on this as well, saying that, there was plans to expand that whole maltings with Diageo, but for some reason it got put on the back burner and it never happened. Uh, you know, so there's all this kind of thing like, well, why didn't they expand it? Mm. No, I suppose they didn't know it was going to happen. It's that whole crystal ball thing, right? About, uh, about Scotch whiskey and how popular it is right now. But the article also goes on to just talk about how uh, a lot of distilleries are really struggling to get malted barley at the moment and how it is a big issue. Ardbeg have announced some massive news this week. Ardbeg Hypernova. You got your name on the list, Mitch? Nope. So Hypernova is going to be the peatiest Ardbeg ever launched. Actually, it's going to be the peatiest single malt ever released. Um, currently, it was uh, the one of the Optimores, uh, which sat at something like uh, 310 ppm, something like that. Now, ppm is the measurement for how peat and phenols are, are measured within the whiskies. Um, Hypernova contains 170 ppm, which is uh, which is quite a lot. Oh, actually, sorry, it's not it's not heavier than than Brucladi's Octomore, but it's right up there. Eh? It's right up there. It's definitely the smokiest Ardbeg ever released. That's for sure. Yeah, because I was going to say Octomore is what 190. Well, 200 odd. No, so the 8.3 was actually it was 309 ppm. Which is mega mega. Yeah, Crazy. I thought this one was coming in slightly higher than that, but it's actually it's not. Uh, but it's coming in at 51%, um, and there won't be that many bottles knocking about. Our good mate, Colin Gordon, knows going to sort us out, isn't he? Yes. Cheers, pal. Yes, Colin. Nice one. <laughs> yeah. Looking forward to that Cheers, in the post Yeah, <laughs> totally. No, but congratulations to them. Uh, Hypernova is basically the, the, it's what happens when a star uh, collapses and threatens um, the fabric of the galaxy, apparently. There we go. That's heavy shit. Oh. Yeah, that is deep, deep. We're well, not going to get into that. And and sticking on Ardbeg with with news, they've just bought yeah. the Isla Hotel, which is yeah. 
very cool to see. Um, you know, I, I was over on, on Isla recently back in May and um, <clears throat> chatting with the locals there, they were just saying, you know, accommodation is a, is a big issue right now. So uh, yeah, yeah. reading about this, the owner, I can't remember his name escapes me right now, but he did a, a big renovation on this hotel about nine years ago. And uh, yeah, Ardbeg have come in and bought it. So I, I'm excited to see it because Ardbeg is one of my favorite distilleries on Isla just for what they do and how they kind of do everything a little bit outside the box and a bit quirky. Yeah. So I think that what I hope that will translate into what they're going to do with this hotel and, and, and renovate it in that way, you know? Yeah, no, it's really cool. Really cool. Uh, next up, big news actually announced uh, just last week, really, was the announcement that the Distillers 1 of 1 is coming back, mate, 2023. Yes. Yeah, this is really cool. So in partnership with Sotheby's Distillers 1 of 1, we had Jonathan Driver on uh, talking about Distillers 1 of 1 uh, in an episode previously, great guy. Uh, and, and you know, various other people who have been involved with it have also been on the episode, people like Ken Greer and things. So massive thing, bringing together a, an amazing collection, one-off, never to be repeated, single malts um, for a great cause. Uh, last year, they raised... Well, 2.2 was granted to the, the Action Youth Fund, which is brilliant, helping young people, uh, disadvantaged people um, in Scotland, basically giving them an opportunity to sort of transform their lives, which is super cool, and also to have a really positive impact on their community. So um, yeah, it's great. Amazing. I'm looking forward to seeing like what comes of that. There were some wicked bottlings in, in that last Distillers 101. So we've got Two uh, what's that? A year or just over a year now for the, the distillers to start announcing what they're going to be doing and yeah. Mitch, get your pennies out and, and get buying some of these nice bottlings. Wow. Uh, there was some brilliant, I mean, some really amazing stuff. Some of the Lady Burns, um, Glad Turret was a really good one. The Bomoronics was an incredible bottling that was out for that. So yeah, hopefully seeing some really cool stuff coming out. May I was going to say as well, by the time you know a year comes around, then the podcast will have blown up so much we'll be able to afford one of the bottles. Yeah, mate, that's it. Nice, <laughs> nice, excellent. What else is going on? Uh, so the last bit of news, and you know, like I say, there's we had to kind of. Put, oh, sorry, this isn't even the last bit of news. Scrap that. No, I'm going to chip in with one or two, maybe. Yeah. No, we've keep got another two things after this. Have so we? Nice. Keep edit, going. Edit keep this. On. Edit yeah. this. The next thing that's going on, uh, a kind of cool thing for me because I've been going past this distillery for the last I don't know year and mm -hmm. a half or however long it's taken to to open it up. Uh, but the Cairn has just opened its doors. So the mm -hmm. Cairn is Gordon McPhail's distillery just outside of Granton upon Spey. And uh, yeah, that's just opened its doors. So if you go online to their uh, website right now, you can see all the different tours that they're offering and you can actually book them online. So it's three different tours ranging from £25 for like the standard hour tour to £350. Uh, which includes some of the 70-year-old Gordon McPhail uh, in there as well. So I suppose the, the great thing is this is a distillery that's going to open up, but it's going to have mature spirit through Gordon McPhail that you can you can um, try. And they actually have uh, a blended whiskey that's specifically not called the Cairn, but it's uh, I think it's CN75 it's called. Uh, and they've got a 12-year-old and an 18-year-old in there that you can buy at the distillery only. So really cool to see that. I'm, I'm excited to see that next time I go up because I'm, you know, as you know, Daz, I go up past that distillery up to Speyside every two seconds. Yeah, yeah. And I've, I've driven past it a fair few times and sort of seen the de development of it. Yeah, really cool. Um, we'll, we'll we'll definitely get there, you and I, for sure. Totally. Yeah. Um, mate, just to let you know, when you do that, your beard scratching's coming up. Is it? Yeah. Oh, 
it's like that's why I kind of paused there for a second. I was going to stop it. Yeah. It wasn't nah, that bad. Sorry, uh, everyone stopped. Daz is scratching his beard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> beard scratching break. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the that's the most hipster thing I think I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, guys. I'm just going to scratch my beard and now carry on. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mate, massive one. This was super cool. Interestingly, one one of the guys I know is working for the Virginia Distillery. And they've been a big part of this whole American single malt kind of movement. Massive news to see that Jack Daniels have brought out an American single malt. That is super, super cool. So there's something we're going to have to follow, mate. Is So they've obviously been doing this. The guys have been producing this, but it's across all the distilleries in America. But it's now finally got its own kind of denomination, if you like. It is now recognized as a category within American whiskey, which is really exciting. So Jack Daniels, single malt. There'll be many, many others coming out, um, but we'll uh, yeah, we'll follow that one and start bringing it in. Because look, we're we're I know we, we talk mostly about Scotch, and our experiences are very much in Scotch. But uh, I'm I'm really open to American whiskeys, mate, big time. I, big I think fan. that was an interesting thing about this is it's finished in Oloroso sherry casks as well. Yeah, it has all the cues, right? It is like it's like Scotchy, 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 as Scotchy as, as as can be, but it's yeah, in a yeah. Jack Daniels bottle and it's square, so it's like it's pretty mental. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna get my paws on that as soon as I can. It's quite exciting. Well, you're gonna have to uh, travel, I, mate, because right now it's only available in uh, travel retail. So yeah, yeah, and 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 look, we'll, we'll we'll get traveling fine. And just going back to your point, just about the um, the care and there's a couple of other distilleries, isn't there? That the stuff happening, big news. The guys at the Cabrac. Um, are going ahead, which is really exciting. Uh, and it looks like Forsyth have, have signed off on the stills and, and they're going to commission those and things like that, which is really interesting. We'll definitely need to get someone on from the Cabrat because there's a there's a great story within that, isn't there, as the, the home of distilling in Speyside and stuff, which is very emotional, very historical and all that. And um, that's there's an episode within that itself. And then the other one is the Dornick Firth um, for Mid... I don't know how you say it. Is it Midfern or Midfern? Midfern, I'd say. Yeah, Midfern. Yeah. Uh, distillery off the Dornick Firth, which uh, looks wicked. Um, looks really, really cool. Brilliant to see that part of, of, of the North East Highlands um, adding another distillery to its already brilliant list of distilleries. Klingleash, Brora, Glen, Morangy, Balblair, Dalmore. Like, it's, 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 uh, they're spoiled up there. Eh? That's, a, that's a brilliant little region in itself. Yeah, it's a good shout Listing all those off there. Well done. Thanks very much. Off the bat, mate. Invergordon, not to right. forget Invergordon. Grain right. distillery. Scotland's only highly grain distillery. Nice. Yes. So, mate, good one. Good episode. Nice to chat stills. Uh, what we'll do definitely is follow up on this one. Bring in a distiller. Maybe talk to one of the maltsters as well and get into the kind of early stages of process and get, get a bit geeky on an episode or two. Not too much because um, it kind of hurts my head a little bit, but um, <laughs> we'll definitely do that. Sounds good. Sounds good, brother. Well, as always, good to see you. Uh, thank you for everyone listening, as always. And uh, yeah, dude, well, enjoy Amsterdam. Amsterdam. I mean, I'm going to go and have a Lefroy and then I'm going to go to bed and it's going to be great. I can't wait. Nice.